Hi, this is Eric Ludi for the Daily Thunder Podcast. If you are enjoying these messages and want to take these truths even deeper, I invite you to join us in Windsor, Colorado at Ellerslie for one of our upcoming five-week or week-long discipleship training programs. Ellerslie's discipleship training has been designed to ignite your spiritual fire and to give you the tools for a Christianity that really works. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Nathan and I were talking about how difficult it is to sort of end our series that we've been doing this uh, this summer. It's actually been a really fun thing, I think, for us. We've We've modified the model for Daily Thunder multiple times, and I think we really enjoyed this summer training series concept, and we're sort of doing the same thing in the fall. So we'll have a, a, summer, a fall training uh, season, and we've both been sort of hashing out what we're doing. We've got some exciting things uh, brewing for that. Uh, but it, it's tough. Uh, just like I remember coming to the end of my World War II series, and it was like saying goodbye to an old friend, and you feel like, you know, it'd be awkward to come back and do another 21-part series on Alfred, you know, so it's like you, you feel like this is your last time talking about Alfred the Great. I'll have to slip him in uh, to some of my future messages, like, you know, there's a guy named Alfred, uh, so, but it has been a very uh, unique stretch, and I have been so blessed by the, the study of this one man's life. It's mainly the study of his circumstances and the study of the situation in history and how, this, how he's going to respond. But it's been greatly impacting on me because of how it parallels, not just with our culture, but with many things that we're facing today as individual Christians. The name of this one is The Footprints of the Great. And I think it's important to notate that the great is actually not Alfred. The great is Jesus. And to put the term the great on any man is somewhat of a dangerous thing to do. It is a compliment, it is a show of reverence, respect for what has been done, and he really did live an amazing life. However, to always remember that our model is Jesus Christ. It's not any man unless they are following Christ. And as Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the way I would say with Alfred, let's follow him as he followed Christ. So... uh, the Amazing Life of Alfred the Great. And I, I put a subtitle on this one, A Powerful Model for Christian Living in the Darkest Hour. And I think it's, it's critical for us to recognize that there's so many parallels with what we're facing today. As I've said many times, you take this island known as Britannia at the time, we know it as Great Britain now, and you see this invasion of evil. Why? Why is evil even encroaching upon this country? This country has been spared from this for hundreds and hundreds of years and has walked in the light of Christian truth even. And yet that Christian truth is faded and the Christian strength that this island once had is dimmed. And as a result, whenever that happens, it's interesting, but evil has a tendency to encroach upon a territory that no longer knows its savior that no longer understands truth, that no longer walks in purity. And as a result, this seems to almost be like a form of judgment upon the nation. And if you were to look at our nation, it's sort of hard not to draw a parallel and to say we've had the truth here. And it's not that no one, on this, this, uh, no one in this nation is walking in the truth. It's that it's dimmed. And that once, per, that once great 
uh, strength that we have represented, that outward focus uh, to, yes, we've been blessed, but we want to bless others. We have forsaken our first love as a nation, and in a sense, there is an encroachment of Vikingness. Uh, it's Viking ideology more than it is you know, men with you know, horns uh, in their helmets and uh, showing up in long boats uh, on the oceanfront properties. However, it is a very real encroachment of evil, and it is seeking to devour uh, this nation. And so when you see the life of Alfred, you see a powerful model for how we are to respond to this. And it's been very moving for those of you that have walked through this series uh, with me. Uh, I think we would all acknowledge it's been deeply stirring. So here's a summary. This is actually... uh, given in the very first episode of this series. Uh, It's a statement from Dr. Benjamin Merkel. He says, this is the king, speaking of Alfred, who took a war-weary band of Anglo-Saxon men hidden on the small swampy island of Athelney and led them from where they teetered on the edge of extinction back to face their enemies once more on the battlefield. This is the man who later kindled such a flame for Christian learning in the hearts of his people that he launched the greatest literary renaissance the Anglo-Saxon England had ever known. This is the story of the only English king to be known as the Great. He was a seasoned warrior, a scholar, a poet, a lawgiver, an architect of towns and ships, and a zealous Christian. Alfred was great because Alfred was a great king. And I don't know if we were to vote on some of our favorite moments, our favorite things, like if we were to say, okay, favorite thing about Alfred, it'd be interesting, you guys should think about it, I may ask you right now. For me, it is the fact that even though he had this position of authority, he wielded mercy as a, as a chief operation of his kingdom. So that's one, and I think his interactions with Guthrum, uh, who would be sort of like the Hitler of the Vikings, is so moving to me. Couple that with the fact that having such influence, jurisdictional influence over this nation called Wessex, that he is going to leverage it to strengthen the nation. He is going to take whatever strength he has, whatever wealth he has, and he's going to give it to the nation to strengthen it with the sole purpose of turning his nation towards Christ, to see a revival in his nation. And that's, that's pretty amazing uh, just to look at, imagining each of us in our own circumstances, how we can leverage this, the, the position we have, even if it's not a king of Wessex that we are, to leverage that situation to turn people towards Jesus. That's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, any uh, quick comments like, uh, yes, Preston? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's neat. So, Preston, for for the podcast's sake, uh, Preston is saying that the most impacting point was the fact that he's he's inheriting an illiterate nation, and he is going to literally change that uh, and make it a literate nation, but he's going to start with himself. He can't read. And he is going to learn to read, but not just learn to read, he is going to, his own language, he's going to learn Latin because all the books are written in Latin and there's no books in the Anglo-Saxon language. So he's going to learn Anglo-Saxon and uh, Latin, and then he's going to learn to translate Latin into English or into Anglo-Saxon so that he can actually create books so that his nation can read. And those books are Christian books so that they can actually 
gain an understanding of who Christ is. And he's going to translate scripture even long before we found out uh, in England that that was a bad thing to do, Wycliffe, Tyndale, all of that, he is going to actually translate the scriptures into the common tongue. Amazing. Anyone else? Yes, Victoria. Yeah. Yeah, that was a neat thing. So Victoria was saying he, she appreciated the fact that he's going to give mercy to his thanes, his noblemen, he's going to command that they read, otherwise they lose their position. And some of these guys are like, uh, boy, I've never been in a school in my life, and now I need to suddenly learn how to read. And my mental picture of that whole thing is really uh, humorous. Because you th- you know, when you think of these old Anglo-Saxons, you think of guys missing teeth, you know, and it's just, they're, they're not the, the prettiest sort, right? They haven't uh, had the same grooming habits that we have, and now they're suddenly needing to learn Anglo-Saxon. And, uh, and, and the command was that they have to learn to read. But Alfred is going to recognize that some of them just cannot get it. So he said, okay, the next option is you can have either a, a son of yours or a servant of yours that is literate read to you all day long. And if you want to hire someone to read you all day long and you can understand what they're saying, hey, we'll make that work. But he's literally going to set the standard high to say, we are going to have nobles that know how to read because they need to know how to read the scriptures so that they can discover Christ so that they can lead with wisdom. That's pretty cool. Anyone else want to throw something in, Janae? Yeah. So Janae is saying that uh, she loved that uh, Alfred pursued Guthrum, who again was like the Hitler. This guy was evil, evil, evil. She's going, he's going to pursue Guthrum, but not just to show him mercy, uh, which is pretty extraordinary, because the way that the Vikings handled the kings of the Saxons when they, when they captured them was to brutally murder them in a painful, torturous way as an offering unto their god Odin. Okay, so now you have the first time where a, a Viking king comes into the, uh, he's captured by a Saxon king. So what's a Saxon king going to do? And Alfred is going to shock the world by actually showing mercy to Guthrum. Not just that, he's going to pursue his soul. And not just that, he's going to lead Guthrum to Christ. (laughs) It's one of the most astounding stories in history. It really is. To see Guthrum actually become a Christian and to repent of his Viking ways and to live a different life from that point forward. I mean, what do you say? I mean, you're, you're looking back in history going, are you serious? That actually happened? I mean, could you imagine Winston Churchill capturing Hitler and then leading him to Christ? I mean, it's just like we, we, we have a tough time fathoming these, these sorts of things. <clears throat> Alfred was great because Alfred was a great king. So special thanks are due in this series, and it would, it would be a disservice if I didn't acknowledge the two key books that I, I used more than any other we're the White Horse King, and that's Dr. Benjamin Merkel. I would highly recommend uh, you guys read it. Uh, I had a whole host of men in my life reading that even before we got into this series, so they've been enjoying it, uh, listening to the series, wondering how I was going to handle certain things, and then getting mad at me because I didn't include certain things. Uh, and then uh, The Birth of Britain by Winston Churchill. But I also want to acknowledge Matt Powell, who was the one who actually sent me the link to the White Horse King and said, to the same degree you know, that Scottish Chiefs impacted you, Eric, White Horse King has greatly impacted me. Uh, so if you happen to have time, you may want to look into it. And that actually had a big impact on my life. 
So in this message in particular, I want to focus on an aspect of, it sort of hints towards some of the literacy we've been dealing with in this past week, because we're dealing with how Alfred leveraged his strength, his growing strength, to influence and build up Wessex, which is ultimately going to become all of England. England is going to become England because of Alfred. And so this is the concept of the tracker of wild game. When he would, Alfred really liked metaphors, so when he was translating Latin into Anglo-Saxon, he would oftentimes use metaphors to try and get the Anglo-Saxon mind to understand things. So once he understood it, he would put it into a metaphor, and oftentimes he would use, he used a lot of tracking or hunting metaphors and a lot of uh, naval, like ship-based uh, metaphors, because those are his two passions. And uh, so the tracker of wild game following in the footprints of the great. And so I think you guys will enjoy this. Dr. Merkel says it this way, the king of Wessex, always drawn to hunting metaphors, likened the many stacks of Latin texts to the tracks of a wild animal. There were, the, there were the footprints. If only the English people could follow them closely, they would be successful in their hunt, finding that much sought after ideal Christian wisdom. But the people had lost the skill of tracking because of their laziness. They could make no sense of the jumbled footprints and were useless in the hunt, unable to follow the clear signs imprinted in the earth, which led to the prize. It's pretty interesting because he's looking at like letters as like uh, tracks. And, you know, we don't, most of us don't follow tracks to hunt. That's not probably the main thing that we grew up doing, even though there could be someone. I'm looking at a Preston, and he's just like, what do you mean? Uh, that's what I did all growing up. Uh, and yet, it's an interesting parallel to look at letters, like in text, as something that you're interpreting. And it's helping you find something that you're after. And he's basically saying, look, all these Latin texts, we have the Bible in Latin, and we have all these works of the Christians throughout the past that are all in Latin. So unless we understand these letters, we will miss out on Christian wisdom. So how can we learn to follow the tracks? And that's the way he, he looked at it. So the estel. Now, if you, if you try and figure out what this word means, you're going to go right back to Alfred. In fact, when you, if you look up the etymology of this, it's just it's Alfred. It's a word Alfred used in one of his translations, and he's talking about something. He's talking about something that he is entrusting or giving to his men so that they can follow the tracks. Isn't that interesting? It's actually a help so that they can read. The, the word con conceptually is like a, the miniature spear and for the hunt. And so if you're tracking something, what are you trying to find? You're trying to find the game that you're after. And there's an end to this, and that is Christian wisdom. So what he is going to do is he's going to manufacture these estels, which I'm going to show you a picture of one, which they happen to have discovered. And it has put a whole bunch of unique pieces together in history to understand what Alfred was doing. But Alfred is, like we've said in the past, trying to train his nation to read so that they can find the treasure. They can reach Jesus. He knows that the text of Scripture is the basis for people discovering Christ, so he is going to labor, and this estel is just this interesting symbol. And so I'm going to give you, you know, it's the miniature spear for the hunt. So Dr. Merkel says this, the king ordered that his goldsmiths produced what was referred to as an estel, a word derived from the Latin term for a small spear. 
And Estel was essentially a place marker or a small pointer stick to help a weary reader direct his eyes as he worked through a text. Each one of these Estels had a value, was valued at 50 golden coins, or mancusis. I'm sure that helps you. And displayed the height of Anglo-Saxon fine craftsmanship in their delicately wrought gold work. Distributing these place markers to the bishops, Alfred urged those churchmen who had once lost the ability to follow the tracks of earlier scholars to pick up these volumes and begin the hunt once more. Providentially, one of these estals was discovered in the 17th century lying in a muddy wheel rut only a few miles from Athelney, the site of Alfred's former winter hideout. This estal, now known as the Alfred Jewel, and on display in Oxford's Ashmolean Museum, reveals the stunning detail of the craftsmanship produced by the goldsmiths of Alfred's court. This teardrop-shaped jewel is composed of a recycled piece of Roman quartz crystal held in a filigreed golden casing terminating at the bottom in the shape of a wild beast's head. In the creature's mouth is a fitting which would have held the small pointer rod designed to help the reader closely follow the lines of the text. The back of the jewel, decorated with the design of a tree, is flat, allowing the estels to sit level on the page. Around the edge of the jewel, the gold work forms the words, see how well I can read my Anglo-Saxon here, Alfred Mechet Gihurimudkan. Did that sound like it was an accurate translation? Okay, that's Anglo-Saxon and I don't read it, okay? A stunning testimony for the king's love for learning, which could be translated. Listen to how this is translated. This is on the Estel. Alfred ordered me to be made. Isn't that just a cool statement to have on this Estel, which is to help you read, to help you follow the text so that you can, in your hunt, catch the game. Alfred ordered me to be made. And so I actually have a picture of it. You could see the Anglo-Saxon around. You can see the the, uh, Anglo-Saxon version of the word Alfred on the side. And uh, I'm not sure what that is a picture of. We've joked about Anglo-Saxon art. You know, it's not the most pleasant to look at for us in our modern day. You can see that beast sort of head. I don't know what kind of creature. It looks like a frog or something to me. Uh, but then at the very end, you see where that spear point will actually come in, and it lays flat against the text. I'm not exactly sure how they used it, but it's somehow to guide them along to keep their focus in the hunt so that they can follow the tracks. Isn't just an interesting way of describing reading to follow tracks so that you can discover uh, the game, and you can, uh, you can actually get uh, the prize. So I really like the phrase, the king ordered me to be made. I mean, this is, that was Alfred ordered me to be made, but this is a statement for each of us. If you were just to think about your own life, now I'm going to call you an Estel for a second. I don't want you to be offended by that, okay? But you're a very, very precious design, very much on purpose, and each estel is unique, and each one is put together, but they're ordered to be made by the king. Why? Well, you can sort of begin to use your imagination. If you recognize that you were built as an estel, it actually is a fascinating thought. And so the words are, these words, the king ordered me to be made, are written on my heart and yours. It's like if you could open me up and see my design, you would see that engraved upon that design is Jesus ordered this life to be created. I'm not created on accident, I'm created on purpose. And even if someone has told you in your life you were created on accident, you know, literally in and amongst this 
jewel-like casing in your life is a very clear statement from your king. He's made in my image. She's made in my image. I I ordered this uh, to be done. So why did God make us as these estals? There's There's a purpose here, but what is that purpose? So that I, like the ancient Wessex readers, could track the footprints of the truth and find the treasure that is Christ. In other words, the first design is I am made to track. Like a, like a tracker, I'm made to track and to reach the prize, to find the treasure. I was intended by God to find Jesus. But then listen to this. And so that I could function as an exquisitely beautiful estel and illuminate the sacred footprints for others that are eager to find the treasure too. That my life could be actually as an estel and lead people to help clarify for them the tracks so that they too can join the hunt and they too can find the prize, that they too could find Jesus, that they too could be an estel, that they too could recognize that they were ordered by the king to be made. Alfred the estel. So it's sort of a funny concept because we're thinking, well, isn't an estel like something that's like designed to help people read? If you think about what an estel is, it's, it's actually profound to think how Alfred is that. What was he helping people do? Find the tracks. Find the ancient tracks. He has, he has inherited a culture that has forsaken Christ. They used to know him. They have shadows of it. They have some monasteries over here, some bishops, but those bishops don't even know how to read. In other words, how much depth do you think is there still? Nothing. We have massively lost the essence of Christianity in this country, and he, for whatever reason, is going to go after it. What is stirring this man is hard to describe, but he is after Christ, and he wants everyone else to be after Christ. And so as a result, he is going to become that beautiful or beautifully ordained Alfred Jewell that is actually going to help his nation read, that is going to help his nation find the tracks, that is going to help his nation discover the prize. And there is going to be not just a revival of literacy, but a revival of faith. There's not just going to be a, a movement where they're a stronger military. They are literally going to push out the enemy and find peace in this country. They're going to have seven divided nations, and suddenly, because of Alfred, they're going to be one nation in unity. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. So Alfred the Estel, he helped a nation track down the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He helped his enemies track down the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He helped his nation track down the solution to their military woes. He helped his nation track down the solution to their financial woes. He helped his nation track down the solution to their educational woes. And if you've gone through this series, you know each one of these things. And you're like, it's true. It's, it's truly remarkable what this man did. He helped his nation track down the solution to their legal woes. He helped his nation track down the solution to their Viking woes. Now, we're talking about it as a man, right? An Estel. Technically, you want the greatest Estel. You just need to put a capital A, and it has to be one of those AE, those Anglo-Saxon AEs, uh, but it's the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit has come to do. He has come to help us. He's come to be like an Estel to our souls so that we would be led in the tracks so that we would discover Christ. This is what he does. And he doesn't just deal with a raw knowledge of our salvation, but he actually brings us into each quadrant of our life. How we think, how we act, how we speak, how we dress, 
how we handle our finances, how we handle our relationships. He is going to give us the tracks so that we can be set free. The same way Alfred is going to lead his nation is a great picture of how the Holy Spirit is going to transform us. He's saying, look, if, if you're going to have this position, you need to learn how to read. I want to show you the tracks, not just so that you can have an education, put quotes around that, but so that you can know the king of the universe. Education has one end, Jesus. Most people that are being educated right now, they're ed- being educated so that they would sound smart, so that they would fit into society, so that they could get a high-paying job, so that they could influence others. What's the end there, though? It's, it's all self. You try and gain the world but lose your soul. The ultimate purpose of education is a singular thing, and that is to know Christ and to make him known. The fact that that makes us effective in all these other areas is how it works. It's a trickle-down effect from there. It is going to change the way we handle our finances. It is going to change the way we would uh, speak and the way we'd handle our relationships with others, which is going to make us good with people. All of these things are trickle-down effects that, because of the same tracks. The Holy Spirit leads us in those tracks. Ethelstan. Do you guys remember uh, the name Ethelstan? It's actually been in our, our series, I think, right, four different times, four different Ethelstans. So there was an Ethelstan uh, before, I think it was one of his older brothers, uh, one of Alfred's older brothers. Then when Guthrum is going to be transformed, do you guys remember that? And if someone's just hearing this message, I don't want to give away some of our great uh, moments in the series, but there is going to be the shocking end of Guthrum, and then there's going to be an arrival on the scene. I think I called it like the mystery of Ethelstan. And so Ethelstan is actually, eh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's Guthrum as a new creature in Christ. He's going to have a new name, and it's Ethelstan. And so it's interesting because then Alfred's grandson is going to be named Ethelstan, which is quite an interesting nod to even Guthrum, if you want to look at it that way. So his son Edward is going to actually have a son named Ethelstan. Ethelstan in English history is going to be this critical character who's going to take all that Alfred gave and he is going to bring it to its end. He is going to actually purge the Vikings out of this continent. So here we're going to start with the Viking invasion in 865 and now we're ending with Ethelstan, the grandson of Alfred, the one who literally has been, is the byproduct of this lineage. And you're going to see an incredible thing happen. So I'm going to say Ethelstan, the grandson, the Estel of Alfred was passed down through the generations. So even though Alfred is going to pass away, he's going to hand down these Estels, which are going to help the, pre- the next generations follow the tracks. And I think that's pretty neat. Uh, in other words, these Estels are something that are treasured for generations. And so even Ethelstan is going to be able to follow the tracks and continue what his grandfather began. So Dr. Merkel says this, after Alfred's death, the holdings of the King of Wessex were steadily expanded by Alfred's son, Edward, and his grandson, Ethelstan, until soon the throne of Alfred came to rule over the entirety of the island of Britain. Even though Ethelstan is often referred to as the first king of England because of all of England was first united under his reign, the accomplishments of Ethelstan and Edward were really just the natural culmination of the reforms first established during Alfred's reign. Alfred truly was the great king of England, the one monarch who rightly understood the needs of the nation and unrelentingly gave all he had to supply those needs. In the year Anno Domini 937, 
Remember, the, uh, Alfred is going to take his kingdom in 872, just to give you an idea of how much time has passed now. So in the year AD 937, Ethelstan, king of the English people, stepped resolutely onto the battlefield of Brunaber, leading the might of the Anglo-Saxon nation out to face the combined forces of Vikings and Picts in what would be referred to by successive generations as the Great Battle. Uh, I'm not sure what that one is doing there, but it's fascinating to look at. Uh, King Ethelstan, grandson of Alfred the Great, stood at the head of the Saxon forces as they heedlessly hurled themselves at the spear-ready line of the awaiting Danes and Picts. A thundering tumult, the Saxons came, a reckless battering ram of mortal flesh propelled by the passion and zeal of the king, whose fierce commands mounted up above the din and clamor of the chaotic charge. The linden shields of the Viking marauders split and shattered under the raging crush of the Saxon force. Northmen faltered and staggered backward, yielding ground and more importantly, leaving a number of gaps ripped through the center of their defensive wall. And though Ethelstan was privileged to be the king standing victorious at that final battle, his great victory on the bloody fields of Brunaber was only a small part of a much greater campaign waged by his predecessors. Ethelstan would be remembered for winning the great battle, but his grandfather Alfred had set into motion the events that culminated in this victory. Feats that ensured Alfred would always be remembered as the great king, Alfred the Great, King of Wessex. Something has gone before us, too. Someone has started something, and we are the culmination. We're called the church. You see, Jesus, the great king, has actually set everything in order for us to win our battles. When he won his battle, he said, it is finished. And the way I've oftentimes looked at it is, it's like David beating Goliath. And yet, he grabbed five stones. He only used one. So he entrusts his other four to his mighties. And there were four more giants. You know, that there were five lords of the Philistines. They were all giants. And so, as a result, when David's picking up five stones, you get the sense that he knows there's five. And he's not just after Goliath. He's like, one for you, one for you, one for you, one for you, and one for you. When I'm done with him, you're next. But it wasn't David that ended up killing the sons or the brothers of Goliath. It was his mighties. And there's something that we are entrusted with as well. The Holy Spirit, the power of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus. We have been given all that we need for life and godliness. It was like David is going to hand to his mighties the other four stones and say, you know what to do with them. And you're going to see the Holy Spirit come at the day of Pentecost, and it's like the four stones. He says, even greater works will you do, because I'm going to be with the Father. I'm giving you four stones. And so we as the church have been given that which we need to pull an Ethelstan to win the great battle to drive out the Viking forces. We are being mocked in this country right now. Christianity is under siege, and if you are wise, you will keep your mouth shut, says the world. However, if you're wise in the kingdom of heaven, you will remember that your God is greater, that he that is in you is greater than he that is in this world, that no weapon fashioned against you is going to prosper, and that if God before you, who can stand against you? We need to remember we need to allow the Estel to freshly walk across the pages of Scripture and lead us to the conclusions that stir our souls unto action. 
we are descendants of the great king, grafted into his genealogy by faith, sons and daughters of Jehovah God by legal adoption. We hold an inheritance, not just for eternity, but for right now. We have the power of God at our disposal, but do we remember who we are? Do we recognize our heritage? The battle of Brunnaber is right in front of us, and are we willing to rise up with the weaponry that we've been given, the military system that we have inherited from Jesus Christ, with the confidence and the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and press the attack? Jesus the Great. We need to start calling him that, right? But you need to have, you need to uncapitalize the great in Alfred's title then and capitalize the G in this one. You need to make it different. Sort of like whenever I go through and I do a copy paste out of the New King James, no, out of the King James into uh, in anything I'm doing. It's like I like how it says it's better than the New King James. Uh, it never capitalizes the H in he, so I'll go through and capitalize it. Because like that isn't just any he. Don't diminish that he down to the level of just a he. This is a he. And so I'll always go through and capitalize things uh, for that very reason. And the same is true here. It's like, hey, I can't just use the great in the same sense as Alfred. Because Alfred is nothing compared to Jesus. So if you're impressed with Alfred, it's only because he was impressed by Jesus and followed him. To the degree that he followed Jesus, we have been impacted in and through this series. But it's because we are seeing Jesus through Alfred. Jesus is the ultimate picture. That is the one we are ultimately after. And so it's not just walking in the footprints of Alfred, it's walking in the footprints of Jesus. So the footprints of the greatest man, the greatest champion, the greatest hero have been laid for us to walk in. And listen to even the language. In Matthew, you see this come through very clearly. Okay, so this is a composite of quite a few scriptures. He said to them, Jesus said to them, follow me. That's an estol talking, isn't it? Hey, I'm, I'm walking along the text of Scripture, follow me. You see where I'm going? Follow me. Jesus said to him, follow me. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said to him, come, follow me. I think we have someone who's making it very clear to us that we are supposed to follow him. Maybe I'm weird, and I'm, I'm catching that out of the text, but it sure does seem that he is saying, follow me. Do you know where he went? He went into a very difficult place. He made choices to stand against darkness. He stood on behalf of the weak. He gave up his life so that others could live. He has set forth a pattern for us. And the reason that Alfred stirs us is because it is a Christ pattern. And so when Christ said to Alfred, follow me, Alfred said, I will. And he got up and followed him. Each one of us has the potential to have an influence that is like an Alfred. Okay, whether or not we'll be remembered in history as the great, that makes no difference to us. In fact, the first thing we should give up is that, that expectation. It wasn't until like, what, 400 years after Alfred 
before he started being referred to as the great. So when he was living, there was none of the great stuff floating around. He wasn't doing it for that. He was just a small nation on this island, and it would be like, who cares? And if you, if I, if you remember me from saying this from previous, in the ninth century, when you look at what happened in the ninth century, like historically, you're looking around trying to find something interesting. There's nothing interesting. It must be the most boring uh, century uh, in the history of, of the world, except for this, what is going to happen in this small little island and what this small little corner of the island called Wessex. Something is happening there that is going to change the world and impact our lives hundreds of years later. And that's what I want you to consider in your life. That sometimes all it takes is one willing to stand up and say, Jesus, I believe you. And even though everyone else around me is sitting, I'm going to stand. Even though everyone around me is silent, I'm going to speak. It's being willing to be the one that moves, that activates the truth, that takes their range of influence and does something with it. In fact, doesn't just do something with it, squeezes the grapefruit opportunity until every drop gets out. That's the way I want you to approach your life. Father, thank you for this series and thank you for what you have instructed us in and how you have impacted our lives in and through this picture. And I pray that we would not let these truths fall to the ground unused, but Lord, that we would rise up and follow you. Lord, you are the one that we desire to be like. You are the one we desire to showcase. You are the one we desire to spread the knowledge of. Lord, we want to be Estels that lead people in the tracks, not to see us, but to see you. Lord, may they find the wisdom of the Lord by watching our lives, by following our lives, through the instruction of our lives. Show us, Lord, how to maximize this one life that we have for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.